Okay, so we have some good news and some bad news. We never really say this, but on this video, make sure you stay to the very end because I'm gonna be telling a personal story and talking about a big mistake I made. But first, let's start with the good news. To celebrate the launch of Easy Mode Music, we are giving away a $100 Amazon gift card every day for 12 days. 12 days of Am I the Jerk Easy Mode Christmas. 12 days of Christmas means $1,200 total. No purchase necessary, no catch, nothing like that. It's just a way of saying thank you for supporting Am I the Jerk this year. And to hope you check out Easy Mode Music in the process. If you want to enter into this officially, like I said, it's free. All you have to do is check out the pinned tweet on our official Am I the Jerk Twitter account, or X as they call it now. You do not need a Twitter account to enter. That's just where it's posted, so it's all in one place. And you don't even need a Twitter account to see it. You don't have to be logged in or anything like that. It's just posted in our pinned tweet on our Twitter. So when you enter, each thing you do gives you more entries. So the more you do, the more chances you have of winning. And none of them cost money or require purchasing anything. And they all take only a few seconds. We wanted to make this as easy as possible because last year, relatively very few people entered. So if it's the same as last year, your chances of winning are actually pretty good in my opinion. And since we want as many people to try and enter as possible, even if you won last year, you can still win this year. So don't think you're automatically disqualified or anything like that. But anyway, that's how you enter. The rest of the details are down below in the description. It's very simple. Again, thank you for supporting Am I the Jerk and Am I the Genius this year, and hopefully you'll support Easy Mode Music. So before we jump into the bad news, what is Easy Mode Music? Easy Mode is a bunch of really good music that you can put on while you're chilling. It's on every music platform, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. You can throw it on in the background while you're listening to Am I the Jerk, if you're studying, exercising, doing homework, whatever you want, or if you are a live streamer on any platform, Twitch, YouTube, etc., you can use Easy Mode Music in the background of your live streams for free. There is no paid subscription, you can just use it. Even if you're not a live streamer today, maybe one day you will be. Check out Easy Mode Music, let me know what you think down below in the comments. But for now, let's jump into the more serious topic of the video. Because this has to do with my personal story, I'm going to give you guys a preview of the project before we talk about it, just so everyone's on the same page, so it actually makes sense, so there's actually some context there. If you think you've already seen this project, you might be surprised, because the last time we talked about this, there was only a part one, and now there's part one, part two, and part three. So if you've only seen the first part, just hang in there, and there'll probably be something new you haven't seen. So check out this preview of my personal story before we have the serious talk. I started touring in a band around the time I was 15 years old. I was in a bunch of bands, but the first band I really started doing a lot with was a punkish band, Trees. The drummer of Trees was my friend Shane. We used to be in two separate bands that briefly toured together also, but then he joined Trees. And this is where this story starts. After one of the Trees practice sessions, Shane told me he met some guy online named Ryan, who way back then was internet famous. He was older than us and wanted to put together a metal band, or a metal core, hardcore metal band. So Shane wanted to know if I could play metal. The goal was to gear up for this longer tour that this band that didn't currently exist would go on. That this guy Ryan, who I had never met, would book. So I asked Shane, why would this guy Ryan, the singer, screamer, want us to be in his band and we're not even in the same state? Shane said, he's under house arrest. He stabbed some guy or something and now he has an ankle bracelet so he can't leave his house. We'd have to drive to California, but he would pay for the gas and give us food. 
At this point in my life, I was so hungry, so desperate to make something happen. I didn't even question it. So I said, I'm in. Shane said he knew this guy Cody from the hardcore scene and this guy had a truck and he was also going to be in the band, the other guitar player. We practiced at this guy Cody's house a couple of times to learn the songs and then the next weekend the three of us and some other random guy, a friend of Cody's, got into a truck and drove to California for the first time. I didn't really know them at all so it was like going on a road trip with total strangers but I knew Shane, our drummer, so we drive the four and a half, five hours to get to Ryan's house in California. I guess it was his mom's house. We set up all the gear pretty much right away and start practicing. It was the first time we ever heard Ryan scream. He didn't really seem very interested in how the music sounded when we practiced, which caught me by surprise. He seemed more interested in knowing if we could write new songs, probably so we can get out an EP. And honestly, Ryan ended up seeming like a decent guy when we met him. He kept his word, he gave Cody money for gas right away, and he handed us some sandwiches that his mom made. There was water too, but the water had little floating specks in it, so I didn't drink any. He told us a little bit more about why he was under house arrest and how long it had been and then he told us about this tour he wanted us to go on before we even met each other the way the timing would have worked out in the future would have been so that he himself couldn't even go because he would still be under house arrest so he said that somebody would fill in on screaming for him and he would manage the tour from his computer it was weird. He was very straight edge and obsessed with getting more followers even way back then. He had this whole routine of waking up at a certain time and doing this checklist of stuff in order to maximize his following. And this is way back in the day, way before every four-year-old in the world wanted to be an influencer. It was the first time I'd ever seen something like that and it was pretty eye-opening. It seemed like he was making things happen. So we practiced that day until we went to sleep and then the same thing the next day, all day, until we had to drive home. At the time, I was also working as a chess teacher for a chess company for elementary school kids, not like a high level chess player. So luckily I was able to just do all of my shifts after school every day since there wasn't work on the weekend anyways. So we keep up this whole driving back and forth between the two states for a couple of weeks until one time we got there to California. It was earlier in the day, not at night. And Ryan told us that he wanted to have a party that night, which surprised me, but it turned out the main reason he wanted to do it was because there was another internet famous person person that he wanted to invite over. So we said, sure. It sounded like it was another part of his plan to get the band going. And he said that the party would only be a little kickback, maybe five, 10 people max. So we get in the truck to go pick up this person all the way out in Hollywood, which took a long time to get there, sat in front of the apartment and eventually... This person came out and their name was Jeffrey. So we all said, hey, Jeffrey was sitting next to me. So on the drive back, he showed me some pictures of battered meat or something on his phone. Then he told me, you want to know what happens if some bee comes at me? And as he said that, he opened up his clutch bag and there was nothing in it except for a single meat cleaver. He pinched the handle with his thumb and pointer finger and dragged it out slowly just to show me and then put it away. The other two guys in the car caught a glimpse of it and quickly averted their gazes. So when we finally pull around the last corner and drive up to the house, it is packed. There are probably two or three hundred people at this place, so many that they obviously can't even fit inside the house. They're scattered all over the front yard and into the street. So we park, muscle our way into the front door and try and find Ryan to bring Jeffrey to him. When we finally get to him, Ryan sees him, rushes up, introduces himself and starts making small talk. So we're all standing in the hallway talking about the new band. 
when suddenly people start rushing to try and get to the front door to get out of the house. All of us see the commotion and try and get outside too to see what's happening. In the middle of the street, there are two guys that are yelling at each other, a guy in a button up and a guy in a tank top. Ryan explains that one guy is from one gang and the other is from another. The tank top guy starts walking up to the button up guy and squares up like he's ready to take the fight. The button up guy is too, but then he sees the tank top guy's friends are walking up on the sides. As soon as he realizes that, the button up guy pulls out a knife from his pocket and flicks it open and walks towards them. I didn't realize the car that the tank top guy was standing in front of was his car, so he reached into the car, through the window, and pulled out a gun. You gotta remember that there were probably more than a hundred people outside as this was going down, so as soon as somebody started screaming, he has a gun, everyone started bolting in different directions. Some back into the house, some get in their cars and leave, some jump into the backyard. We are all behind this truck, so we drop into the bed of the truck. When I look back up, the button up guy is gone, but the tank top guy and his friends are out there laughing. No shots were fired. The party resumes, we go back in the house, and Ryan is pissed that this happened at his house during his house arrest. He starts naming off all the people that disrespected his home, and another hour or so goes by. We're talking in the hallway, and the same thing happens again. People start rushing outside again. This time when we get out there, Ryan's nowhere to be found, and it's two guys straight up fist fighting, and it looks like it's about to turn into a brawl. It turns out that Ryan got up on top of the roof of his house and started throwing something down at the people fighting as he was screaming at them to leave. I heard somebody say, He's throwing knives! So as soon as I saw that there was a knife on the ground, I immediately tried to get back inside so I wouldn't accidentally get hit by something. So after this second fight, almost everyone left. I didn't see how it ended, but I kept hearing about how someone was throwing knives from the roof. There was some more screaming outside, but eventually it was all quiet. We were finally down to the 5 to 10 people that this kickback was supposed to be originally. It was a lot easier to see how trashed the house was now that there were so few people there. All of us were sitting in the bedroom. I was in one section with Jeffrey, Ryan was at the computer, Facing everyone, there was a girl that was sitting in the bed, Shane across from me and a few other random people. It was calm and everyone was just talking. Until a guy burst in the room, swung the door open and started screaming at the girl in the bed saying, Look, we need to go now. They are coming back. We need to go now. It turns out that guy was the girl's boyfriend. But before she could respond, Jeffrey told him, Maybe she doesn't want to go with someone who looks like a troll doll. A bunch of the random people started cracking up laughing at this, including the girl herself. So the guy said, fine, you're all just going to die here then. And before he even finished that sentence, he was sprinting out towards the front door to leave. People went back to talking like nothing ever happened. And a little bit later on, Jeffrey asked me where to get some water. So we walked to the kitchen, which has a big window. At this point, Shane was already there drinking water himself. And he said to Jeffrey, you might want to look at the water first. Because if you remember, the water at this house was cloudy and had some specks in it. So we held up the glass of water to the light. The three of us leaned in at the same time to look look at it and at that moment it was like time completely froze. Before I heard any sound all of the glass of the giant window we were standing in front of exploded. There was a loud The people that were left in the house started screaming. Shane dropped his drinking glass and bolted to one side. Jeffrey ran into the bathroom and I dropped the floor onto the glass and tried to crawl into the other room. Then we heard more sounds and more glass shattering. A few of the girls that I didn't know at all were screaming in fear. And then finally, when it was over and everything was quiet, I heard someone sniffling crying in the other room. Someone else yelled out, Is everyone okay? And then somebody else said, What happened? In response to that, somebody yelled out, They came back. 
back. It's like that guy said it was retaliation. I didn't want to stand up right away in case it wasn't over, so I crawled over to where I thought Shane was to see if he was okay, since the three of us were the only ones standing right in front of the window where it happened. But first, I saw Jeffrey, and he was more than shaken. He kept repeating, I have to go. I can't be here. I have to go. I have to go. Take me out of here now. I can't be here. The first thing that Ryan heard was that, so he immediately asked us to take Jeffrey home before we even knew if anyone was outside. Nobody argued. We just accepted it and went to the door. I was the first one to open the front door and stick my head out to see if anyone was out there, but all I saw was a bunch of glass on the floor, which didn't make sense to me because the window they hit us from had all the glass come into the house, so how could there be glass outside? Well, it turns out they hit Cody's truck. We opened the doors to hurry up and get inside because we didn't want to be standing out in the open, and all the seats were covered in glass. I was on the passenger side, so I was trying to sweep the glass onto the floor of the car so I could sit on it without having a pile of glass underneath me. That's when we realized we didn't have a windshield anymore. So we jumped in, Cody peeled out of there, and I don't know if you guys have ever driven a car without a windshield before, but it's awful. It feels like you can barely keep your eyes open, and of course, we didn't have glasses or anything to block the wind. So we drove slowly in total silence, but we didn't make it very far. We got to the first gas station we saw, pulled over, and tried to sweep all of the glass into a trash can, which also wasn't very effective. This entire time, Jeffrey said nothing, Cody said nothing, but Shane said, what if they come back and Ryan is alone? As soon as he said that, pretty much everyone understood what he meant. Everyone was on the same page to go back. So we start slowly driving back, but now there's some sort of fog that makes it a lot harder to see than before, and the streetlights were out, which was weird because we were there maybe 15 minutes ago, but the streetlights were on, so it was very dark out there. Cody starts getting a little bit paranoid, so he turns off his headlights, and we quietly roll into the spot in front of the house, and as soon as we do that, boom. Floodlights kick on, powerful ones, and we're temporarily blinded for a second. There were at least two cop cars sitting in front of us in the darkness that we didn't see, and from behind we hear tires screeching as more cop cars come around the corner and block us in from the back. On a speaker, a cop is screaming at us to get out of the car with our fingers laced behind our heads. So I open the door, fall to my knees next to the truck with my fingers laced behind my head, with some shards of glass following me out the door onto the floor. I try looking in front of me, but it's a blind light, but I can make out that a cop is walking towards me. I'm still on the ground, on my knees, kneeling in the shards of glass at the side of the truck, and in that moment I remember hoping that this shooting wouldn't make me miss school the next day because I was still in high school. And that's part one. I'm on my knees in a pile of shattered glass with my hands locked behind my head and my eyes squinting forward trying to see the cop walking towards me. He grabs me under the armpit and jerks me up so I stand so that he can handcuff me. He pulls me over to the curb where there are a few other stragglers from inside the house that are also handcuffed and I try to tell him, hey, this isn't what it- You shut up and you sit down, kid. So now I'm on the curb with everyone else and everywhere I look there are floodlights from cop cars. I look over my shoulder behind me and in in front of the house, I see house arrest Ryan trying to smooth talk his way out of the situation with cop number two. Cop number two is not having it and she looks pissed. Obviously, since they got multiple reports of fighting in the streets, shots fired and attempted stabbings all from the same house, Ryan's house. And just to make it abundantly obvious again, he has an ankle bracelet on because he is under house arrest. So I look back in front of me and Jeffrey is now in the backseat of a cop car. His clutch bag is sitting on top 
top of the trunk of that car and two different cops are standing over the bag wearing gloves. One of them reaches in the bag and fishes around until he finds the only item that's in there, the meat cleaver. He drags it out very slowly from the handle and when the massive blade becomes visible, both cops look at each other completely and totally bewildered. I look back over my shoulder and the situation with Ryan has completely 180'd. I have no idea how, but somehow he has the cop laughing and Ryan is laughing too. I think I'm the only one that notices this because everyone else is handcuffed on the curb with me and most of them look petrified. One girl on the end of the line is crying and shaking. So we stay out there on the curb for more than an hour before I feel a cop unlocking my handcuffs from behind my back. And when I look behind me, Ryan is standing behind the cop and puts a finger to his mouth with a shh motion. The cop unlocks us all without even saying a single word and then they all drive away. I ask Ryan, uh, what did you say to make them go? Yeah, I worked it out. Don't worry about it. Is everything okay with the house arrest situation? Yeah, everything is cool. Don't worry about it. So I did end up missing school the next day because the windows were busted out of Cody's truck and we couldn't drive on the freeway. The next day at Ryan's house when we were cleaning all the debris, Ryan says, see y'all ready for this tour or what? So if you remember, the entire point of doing this whole back and forth thing was to set up and practice for this tour. Even though I had been in the punk band for a very long time, Ryan's band, the metal band, had never even played a show together. And because Ryan was popular on the internet at the time, he took it upon himself to book the entire tour, which we had never let anyone else book for us back then. And in some weird way, part of the reason why I was fine with Ryan taking over with the booking was because of how he handled the aftermath of the shooting. But it turns out those two things have nothing to do with each other and we would all deeply regret that decision. So before the tour happened with the punk band and the metal band in the same van, the punk band did a few shows leading up to that. The pre-tour shows started off strong. We booked these shows ourselves and the very first one was at Jerry's Pizza in Bakersfield. We played a great show with some great mostly hardcore bands and there was a lot of people that came to see us. There were plenty of people singing along to our songs, stage dives, high fives, and the best part was being able to eat that pizza. The show ended, so we started driving out into the desert, and we had some van issues outside of an area called Boron, which is sort of in the middle of the desert, but we didn't quite make it there. In the pitch black of night, because there were no lights out there, we had to pull the van over into the dirt, and there was only one building, as far as the eye could see, that had a light coming out of it. So we started walking towards the house that had the light, and while we were walking there, off in the distance, a wild dog came running out of the desert straight towards us at full speed. So we turned around and bolted back into the van. And right as we slammed the door shut behind us, we realized there was a whole pack of wild dogs. They were all barking and circling our van, so we tried to just wait it out, but they never left. After about an hour, one of the guys just couldn't hold it anymore, so he actually cranked down the front driver's window and tried to pee out the window. But right as he started doing that, one of the wild dogs was running and jumped into the air to bite him. But that's a story for another day. So let's skip ahead and jump right into the whole point that all of this happened for, which was the tour with both bands. The one that House Arrest Ryan booked. The rest of the punk shows leading up to it went pretty great, but right before the full-on tour, Ryan started feeling a little bit weird because he wasn't very communicative and he wasn't answering basic questions like how much money each show would pay and where we were staying at. It was Justin's van, the singer of the punk band. So he just wanted to make sure the shows would at least cover the costs of the tour. But Ryan said, don't worry about it, just trust him. So finally it kicks off with both bands in the same van. And even though we shared a lot of the same members, it was a weird mix. We got to San Diego, slept on the floor, and the show was horrible. It was at a bar, and since 
since I wasn't 21, I just had to stand outside of it until it was time to play. And that part was fine because I did that pretty often, but the show was non-existent. We played a show to basically no one because no one even knew that we were playing in town. And they didn't pay us when Ryan said they were going to, which meant that we all had to pay for the expenses and we really did not have money. So we got nothing. They wouldn't even give me a cup of water. Strike one against Ryan. Google Maps says that it takes five and a half hours to get to Phoenix, so in Justin's old van, it probably took two weeks. Van time is kind of like dog years. On the way to Phoenix, morale in the van is pretty low. Ryan's on the phone and he says that that whole situation in San Diego was a fluke and the next show would be totally fine. So we finally get to the show in Phoenix and the building is permanently closed. And this is where things start to crack. We're standing in an empty parking lot arguing. Ryan won't answer the phone and the argument boils down to whether or not we should go home or keep going. Justin, the singer of the punk band who owns the van wants to go home and Cody from the metal band wants to keep going despite a 100% failure rate by Ryan. In the middle of all this, Justin says, nah, I'm done. And Cody sort of quietly says, I have 11k in the bank. Anything goes wrong, I can handle it. Justin says, I don't believe you. And Cody says, I have 11k in the bank. Why would we not go if we have that kind of security? So Justin says, okay, you tell everyone what you just told me. Say it loud and clear for everyone to hear or we're going to turn around. Cody didn't really want to say it loud so he kind of just whispered, no, no, it's fine. I said I'll do it. I'll do it. I swear. And Justin tells him, then if you're not going to say it out loud to everybody, we're not going to go to the next show. Okay, fine. I'll do it. So Cody stands up on top of the van where Justin was pointing and tells everyone, as unbelievable as it may seem, you are looking at someone who has 11 K in the bank. I know that's probably more than all of your families combined, but my family isn't poor like yours. Justin says, okay, okay. So what happens if the van breaks down? I'll pay for it. Okay. And what if we get stuck? I said, I'll pay for it. So after that, Justin threw his hands up and just said, okay, let's go. So obviously there is a part three now. I'll leave a link to that down below in the description if you want to see it. I'll also link to it in the giveaway list of videos on the Twitter. I know this project is very important to a lot of you guys, but one of the things I wanted to talk about in this video is that now that we've done three parts to this story and each one has taken an immense amount of time, we're probably going to be taking a break from this to do a one-off in between. And the part that we haven't decided on yet is whether or not we are going to even continue to a part four or if we're going to keep just doing one-offs or not. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you guys. After you see the third part to this, please come back to this video and let me know what you think we should do. It is a serious decision because it is so time intensive to make each one of these that we can't really continue to do one-offs and try and continue this series. But one thing I will say is that that point where the story leaves off in part three pretty much is the conclusion to that whole story arc. The cliffhanger that it ends on is that actually real and actually does have a real outcome to it, but it's probably not going to be in the next part of the story like you would think. The next part of the story, if we continue it, would just be where does everything go from that point in time, which sort of blends into the next tour and all the experiences we had there. And there's a lot of returning characters that you guys would have seen in these videos that we haven't seen in a while. So just like a lot of you guys, these videos are important to us as well. And I would love to hear what you think, especially if you've seen all three parts and not just the two parts in this video. So 
So the big mistake I made was thinking that I could do the one-offs and the continued story at the same time, which ultimately hurts both of them. So making a decision on which one to do is something that I would love to hear you guys feedback on down below in the comments. But most importantly, don't forget to enter the giveaway and check out Easy Mode Music. It's all linked in the pinned tweets on the Am I the Jerk Twitter. Also, last thing regarding the giveaway, if you do win, it would be very much appreciated if you actually tweet it out once you get the prize so everyone else can see that. Last year, of all the people that actually received the prize, very few of them actually tweeted out and showed that they won. So if you do win, please consider doing that. It would be really appreciated. But either way, thanks a lot for watching and I'll see you guys next time.